Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good evening, everyone. We also want to welcome those that are online. We have several people watching online on Wednesday nights and and, uh, Sunday mornings as well. I had someone come up to me recently and said, we've been listening to you on the radio. And so if you don't know that we, we broadcast the Sunday sermon at, at uh, which, which channel? 7 o'clock on 883. Seven, seven on 88.3. Awesome. So that's when we're on. And so he said, yeah, we, we just had to come and see what you look like. And I said, I, I know I'm much taller on radio. So however you tune in, welcome, and I'm glad you're part of our our study here tonight. The question of the ages, the book of Job. We talked about the darkness of despair. Depression affects what we say. Depression can distort our perspective. It can cause us to show contempt for life and bring a darkness to the soul. And so depression must be resisted to be overcome because it can lead to hopelessness. And it can blind us to the good we have in life. And depression is often the result of us relying on ourselves and trusting in our own understanding. And finally, depression can drive one into into isolation, which is the opposite of what we need. So now we are moving forward with this. We know that Job was deeply depressed. And now his depression deteriorates into bitterness. And it causes a decay of the soul. How can depression lead to bitterness? Any any thoughts on that? Any ideas? Yes. Well, you start feeling, why am I the only one? Good. Yeah, we start we start looking at ourselves, and we feel, and that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Yeah, ostracize, make us feel isolated and away from other people. And so, in that depression, then we then we can start to get angry. And, and then that can lead to bitterness in our lives. Good, good response. Other ideas? Yes. Well, it's with Job, you know, he lived a righteous life of, you know, obedience and everything. And now all this befalls him. He's probably looking introspectively. What was the point of all that? Very good. Yes. Because he believed that good things happen to good people and, and bad things happen to bad people. And his theology wasn't working out. And so he may have thought, what, have I kept my, I think this is Psalm 73, have I kept myself pure in vain? You know, I, did, I was blameless. That's hard work to be blameless and to walk uprightly. And so he may have thought, you know what, was this worth it? And, and opened the door for bitterness because you're going to see some bitterness pouring out of his mouth here in just a few seconds. Any other thoughts of how, how depression can lead to bitterness? Yes. Excellent point. How many know we have unrealistic expectations? Whenever I do a marriage, I pre- require marriage counseling, and they come in, and I'm like, "Yeah, right." You know, they're just—they got stars in their eyes, and it's like, 
Come and see me six months after you're married. Because everybody enters into marriage with unrealistic expectation. This person's going to make me happy. Never mind, nobody has ever been happy in my life, or I've never been happy in my life. But somehow this person is going to meet all my needs and make me happy. And she will always look you know, that gorgeous, and he will always look that handsome. And we know that... We all enter into marriage with unrealistic expectations, and then when they're not met, we get angry. And, and it's true, we have unrealistic expectations of God. And, and that's, and he, it's interesting, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is do not, com, do not form a graven image, an idol. And yet, we haven't done that literally, but we've done that mentally. We have an idea of who, what God is like and what He should do. And so we've actually created an idol in our heart. And when he doesn't do what we expect him to do, we get angry. And because our expectations were unrealistic, God never promised that, this was, you know, that he was going to respond this way. And so when we've entered into that, it's, it's our fault, not God's. And it's because we've had those unrealistic expectations. Good. Other, any other thoughts on how... Depression can lead to bitterness. Now, someone once said that bitterness is the poison we swallow hoping someone else will die. And we'll get into the definition of bitterness in Hebrew, but that is a, a, a good uh, on-the-surface definition. It's the poison we swallow hoping someone else will die, bitterness. Yes? And that's what's going to happen to Job. Man, he's going to explode. It's all going to come out of his mouth. And here's the irony, because I, I agree with you. Sometimes it's due to immaturity. Job may have had a, a faith, but it may have had some immaturity in his faith. Because it was, it, it was really based on the, the good things God had done for him. Uh, even though, you know, he's still going to remain faithful to God. He certainly had some immaturity. And we're going to find that out. Any other thoughts on how depression can turn to dis, uh, uh, bitterness? Yes. 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 And a lot of times when we internalize and don't deal with it, it's just going to grow and fester and, and decay. And that's why we've got to see what bitterness does. It, it, it brings death to our souls. And so let's, let's look at, you know, we, we've read about Job being depressed. Now watch him shift gears into bitterness. Job chapter 3, verse 11. Buckle up. Here we go. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with rulers who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There, are, there the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. 
Captives also enjoy their ease, and they no longer hear the slave driver's shout. The small and the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master. Verse 20 is the key of this passage. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? We're going to talk about that hedged in next time. For sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. Oh, we got to dig into that. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. See, he, all along, Job was afraid this was going to happen. That's why he works so hard at his religion, by offering sacrifices for each of his children, because he lived in fear. Now, he may have been a blameless man, but he was, he was tortured by the fear of losing his children and all of this, losing his wealth and losing his health, losing his marriage. And so he's, he makes an, an amazing statement here. What I feared has come upon me. We don't have time to dig in that tonight, but I want you to be thinking about this, that this week. Is it possible that if we allow fear of whatever it may be, fear of losing a child, fear of losing a job, fear of whatever it may be, that that can actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy? We almost make it happen because we're, we're so afraid of it. And, and what's terrible is it may never happen and yet we experience day after day after day like it has happened. And so sometimes the tragedy is, is less b bitter than the fear of the tragedy. You know, we're living in this fear of something that may never happen. And it, it'll, it, it can in many ways be worse than the thing we fear. And he says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Wow. So the title is Bitterness of the Soul. Now we've, you know, it's, it's often been said that the soul is comprised of three things. What? The mind, the will, and the emotions. And the heart is similar to the soul. We'll find out a little distinction when I talk on Sunday about uh, trusting the Lord with all our heart. It's interesting. In, the Hebrews didn't believe that was the center of your emotions was your heart. They believed it was your intestines, <laughs> your gut. And so that was the center of emotions and will and the, and the mind as well. So we're going we're gonna to dig in that. But yeah, it's pretty much been decided that the, the, whenever the Bible speaks of the soul, because we're body, soul, and spirit, we're a triune being just like the Lord is, is a trinity. We are made in the image of God, so we're triune, body, soul, and spirit. And so the soul is that seed of emotions. It's our mind. It's our will. It's our choices in life. Now let's look up the word bitterness in Hebrew. We have that on the screen. Mara, from where we get the name Mary, interestingly enough. Mara means strong feelings of hurt, hatred, and resentment towards someone from a sense of being injured or offended. It is the result of prolonged, unresolved anger, someone mentioned that, or disappointment. There we are again, expectations. Bitter, so therefore, we put them together. Bitterness of soul is allowing hurt, hatred, resentment, offense 
anger and disappointment to take over our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so bitterness, if it, if it fills your soul, you will feel that bitterness of fear and disappointment in your, in your thought life, in your choices, and how you feel. And a lot of how we feel is because of what we've processed wrongly in our mind. We've, we've talked about that. So Mara, in the Hebrew, it carries the connotation of a bitter taste in one's mouth. Now, uh, the twins, we've got the babies, and we're, I'm just loving life. You saw my granddaughter eating watermelon on Facebook. Uh, with the look of ecstasy, because oh, they're trying new things now. They're not just having formula, thank God, because we can't find it anywhere. Uh, and we always had to buy twice as much. But now they're starting to eat real food. And I, I did it to my children. I had to do it to my grandchildren, the lemon wedge. Now, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to raise your hands because I don't know if this is child abuse or not, but everybody <laughs> takes that lemon wedge for the first time and And you know what's so terrible? Your baby's trusting you. Everything they've given me tastes good. So I'm I'm trusting you as you put that lemon wedge in my mouth. But their faces are the most hilarious thing. We had cameras ready. (laughs) Am I bad? You you know, am I bad? Or have you done that as well? And they they screw up their face. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's what bitterness does to your soul. It screws it up. And it makes it twist and contort like that. So, so anyway, I don't know if that's bad or not, but I love that, that face, you know, and how they respond. And that's what bitterness does to our soul. So let's look at Job saying this again, Job 3.20. It's the center of this, of this passage. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? So Job had allowed bitterness to fill his soul. And we, we talked about it at the beginning of our study tonight that depression, disappointment, wrong expectations, all of this can bring, it opens a valve for bitterness to start, begin dripping and then pouring into our soul. And so number one, my first point is this. Only we can allow bitterness into our soul. It, it, we, we have to open a door. And we may do it unconsciously, but if you have bitterness in your heart, it didn't force its way in there. We let it in. Now, we may not have let it in directly, but we may have let it in indirectly through these other things we talked about, depression or um, unresolved anger or wrong expectations. So let's establish that. Job got bitter on his own. His friends hadn't even said anything yet, right? They've been quiet, which was the best thing they could have done if they'd stayed being quiet. But Job has, he has had seven days and nights to think about this. And he has let it stew in his mind. He's gone into the darkness of despair and depression. And now he's coming to a place of bitterness. Another place, this phrase, bitterness of soul, It's an interesting phrase in the Bible. It's only used a few times, this phraseology. And so let's look at each time this phrase, bitterness of soul, is mentioned in the scripture because it'll show us how it gets there, how we let it into our hearts. There are certain valves and openings 
that we, that we release and bitterness comes in. So we see in Job 7.11, Job mentions it again, the same phrase. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in, in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job 10.1, I loathe my very life. Don't, aren't you excited to get to these chapters? I mean, they're even better, even more depressing than the earlier chapters. But I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. So number two, bitterness can be the cause of our complaining. And not only when we complain, we open the door for bitterness to come in. Tell me how that's possible. What do you think? Complaining opens the door for bitterness. Thoughts? Or, yes. And, and, and that's the thing we've talked about is the power of our words. What we speak out. Yes. Yes, and there, there, there's depth. we know there's satanic influence because Satan's in the beginning of this book, and, and you're right, not only is God listening to our words, so is the devil. And if we, the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold, and that, that's about anger and what we speak, it's in that context. And so you're right, we, we, if we complain, and I'm telling you, there are people that complain about everything. The Bible says, yeah, the Bible says do not complain. There are several warnings against complaining. And, and isn't that what plagued the Israelites? That's why they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They wouldn't shut their stinking pie hole for just a minute. I mean, they, get, they cross the Red Sea, this great miracle, and then they think, wow, I'm thirsty. We're going to die. You brought us out here to die. And then, you know, they give him a body of water. Well, it's bitter. Oh, we're going to die. And then Moses throws a piece of wood in there and it becomes sweet. They drink and then like they're hungry. Oh, we're going to die. I mean, it just would not stop. Nothing satisfied them. Their clothes never wore out. They got to eat angel food. And yet they complained about everything. Absolutely. And if, and if, and if we are constantly critical and complaining, we will reap that. It will affect, it'll poison our soul. This is how bitterness comes, by a complaining spirit. And you know what? It is easy to complain. It's hard to be positive and encouraging. And yet, encouragement is the, is the flip side of complaining. And, and I would say gratitude as well. So thankfulness is the other side of the coin of complaining. But hear me out. Complaining will keep you from the promised land. It will keep you from the promises God has for your life. And we know Jeremiah 29, 11, God has plans for us. But I'm telling you what, we can ruin those plans by complaining. Complaining kept an entire generation out of the promised land. And so, does God care about it? Absolutely he does. What are some other thoughts of how complaining allows bitterness to, to flood our soul? Any other thoughts on Complaining. Yes. I know it's kind of deep in this uh, study, but just asking God why. I think sometimes you ask God why, 
that's a good point. Because sometimes we're asking why. We're not, we don't want the answer. We just want to ask the question. We, because the answer won't always satisfy. Because God may be like, you know, when I swore I would never do this when I became a parent. But when your kid keeps asking you over and over again the same question, you finally say, because I said so. <laughs> and sometimes that's God, because I said so. He doesn't, doesn't reveal everything to us. Good. Any other thoughts on how complaining? Yes. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> Especially since my Seahawks are terrible this year. It's going to be. But I'm just, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to, you know, I don't want bitterness in my soul. Yeah, I'll definitely pray about it. So if it would be interesting, and I know they've actually done tests like this, where they've recorded your entire day, you know, and if you ever play that back, and just listen to the times you complained. And, you know, whether it's about the traffic or, you know, you know, the weather, whatever it may be, it'll shock us how many times we complain. And complaining grieves the heart of God. And like I said, it hinders God's destiny for our life, his purposes for our life by complaining. And, and the cure from complaining is thankfulness. You've got to fight that with thankfulness, with gratitude. So, Job is complaining. Now, does he have grounds to complain? Well, yes. Yes and no. Because in, in the natural, he certainly does. He's lost everything. The world will say, of course he has the right to complain. But in the supernatural, he doesn't have the right to complain before God. Because God, and, and it's sad because he knows that. He said it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But he's lost sight of that. He can't say that anymore because he's, he's allowed his heart to go there and, and has asked the question why, even though he won't be satisfied with the answer. And he won't get an answer, but because yet he will have changed and we'll get to that. Number two, well, I already said that, right? Bitterness can be the cause of complaining. Look at Job 21, 23 for another cause. One man dies in full vigor. Completely secure and at ease, his body well-nourished, his bones rich with marrow. Another man dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. Number three, bitterness is expressed in envy. If we allow envy to fill our souls, bitterness will come in. You know, I'm, I'm reading a book, I may share some thoughts about it. But because it's not a Christian book, but it it has certain it, it is pretty fascinating because it has a lot of research about happiness. And one of the things it talks about is how destructive social media is to to us and especially to children, because social media is all about envy. Look at my vacation. And here you can't even afford to go to Oildale on your vacation. They're in Hawaii, you're in Oildale. Or look at my new car and you're riding a bike. You know, and, and it's, you know, we want to rejoice with those who rejoice, but I don't want to rejoice with those who, you know, got something I want. And, and that's what happens on social media. It, like never before, we've never been able to show off like this ever before. Do you remember in kindergarten, show and tell? You know, we, we've, 
we learn, we learn it young, don't we? we? See what we've got. We show and tell. Well, that's all Facebook and social media is, is show and tell. And it shouldn't stir envy in us, but it does. And, and the Bible says that we're not to envy. It's one of the Ten Commandments, not covet. Our, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's whatever. And so this is generated in our culture and a lot of it has to do with advertising. They did a study with children. And what they did is they separated these two children, these two groups of children. And this one group of children was allowed to watch two commercials of toys. The other children were not, didn't watch any commercials. And so they said to the both sets, you can either uh, go to this boy who is mean and has a toy that was featured on the commercial. Or you can just go play with, on your own without the toy. And the children who had watched the commercial gravitated toward the mean boy with the toy. They wanted that more than, a, you know, a, having the toy was so important that they would put up with meanness. To, because they had seen the commercial. And I've often joked about, you know, the salad shooter. Anybody remember the salad shooter? Oh, yeah. We used to have something called a knife that did the same thing. But uh, I, I just was intrigued by it and, and slightly envious because I wanted one, uh, but I never got one. But think about that. Somebody in a boardroom thought that up. We're going to have the salad shooter. And, we, and then we're going to play a commercial, and you're going to want to have it with all of your life. And so advertisers have seriously taken over our desires. And they've actually created desires we didn't have before. Remember what Paul says in Romans? I didn't know what it was to covet until I, it was said, thou shalt not covet. I didn't know I wanted that until you showed it to me. Another research done. In a third world country, they opened a factory. And they, they paid a wage better than any, anyone in the area. And so many people in that third world country came to work. But they were surprised after the first paycheck, they all quit. And so the, the American, you know, capitalists went to them and said, why, did, why didn't you, why did you quit? And they said, well, we now have enough money for the year. <laughs> so we don't need to work. And they thought, what in the world? You know, and, and they needed this cheap labor, so they thought, what can we do to get them to come back to work? And they had an idea. They sent them a catalog of all the things that this company made. And sure enough, everybody started coming back to work because they wanted the toys in the catalog that they had never seen before and didn't know they wanted. All of a sudden, they wanted it. Human nature, but it's also the devil's attempt to make us discontent with what God has in our life. And, the, and, and again, I was fascinated at this secular book and the secular study that says materialism brings greater anxiety and depression than contentment. And so if we want contentment and peace in our life, it's not going to come through all the toys and all the things this world holds up as what you got to have. The peace and the, and the overcoming anxiety is when we learn to become thankful and content. And so envy 
will open the door for bitterness because we will, we will hate the people that have what we want and can't afford. And what's amazing is it, it knows no boundaries. Even the wealthy are envious of those who are more wealthy. It never stops. I'm always amazed at these richest men in the world you know, that have multiple affairs and, because they have everything, but they, they only want what they can't have. They have everything that someone would ever want in life. And so bitterness is the result of envy. And, and so Job 27, verse 2. Let's look at another cause. As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, again, Job speaking, the Almighty who has made me taste bitterness of soul. Number four, feelings of injustice is a root of bitterness. Anybody want to expound on that? Yes. Right. That's a good point. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to hell. That's justice. But, and Job, though he was upright and blameless, he wasn't perfect. And so, yes, he was a sinner. Now, he didn't sin against God in this instance, but he sure came close and maybe sinned in other areas. But, but this is an excellent point. Uh, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, when we were in, I took a previous church I pastored, we went to Columbia for a missions trip. And, and uh, while we were there, we ministered in a church where the pastor's wife was a woman from Alabama. And she'd married a, a Colombian. And it was so, she had a thick Alabaman accent, you know. I mean, it was, every word was stretched out. Every, there's no such thing as a single syllable word, you know. And... And so she would talk like that thick, and it was, I love that accent. And then she would speak in Spanish, <laughs> and, you know, that accent was gone, because I thought maybe the Alabaman would carry over into the Spanish accent, but it didn't. So she was fluent in Spanish, which was pretty amazing. So we ministered at their church, and they took up a love offering for us. And that, has, that isn't why we had come to the missions trip, because we, same with our MAPS trips, we go there to give. Not to, not to take anything. Well, often we'll, we'll leave an offering behind. And so I, we were the same thought. We shouldn't be taking this offering. And I kept telling her, uh, you know, we don't, we, we're not worthy of this. In fact, we were at a McDonald's in, in Bogota, Colombia that had razor wire and armed guards surrounding it. But it was the only burger I'd had in a week. And it was delicious. But anyway, I was having this conversation with her in the McDonald's because she was trying to give me a check for the, for the church. And I said... I said to her, we don't deserve this. And she said, honey, you deserve hell. <laughs> and I said, you're right. We'll take it. <laughs> so I took the check. But she was right. We all deserve hell. Anything above that is grace. And you might as well take it. Good point. So other thoughts on either envy or uh, injustice. Yes. Fair, yes. Could not have. 
That's right, and envy is always about comparing, you know, and when I, my kids were little and I'd give them a snack, what do they immediately do? They count how many pieces they got, and then they count how many pieces their sibling got. That's not fair! You know, and that's what comes out of your mouth. And how many know that is part of the fall, because kids don't have to be taught that. Learn, they learn right away that this is not fair, and of course, we tell them life is not fair, and that's just the way it is. Yes, Budgie. Um, in a literal term, justice, injustice, who hasn't heard Larry Parker got me $2.1 million? <laughs> million, sure. Well, if I don't get $2.1 million, well, there's something wrong with the system because, hey, that commercial is, I don't know how many years old, and the cost of living is way up there, so I deserve a whole lot more, don't I? Yeah, and, and, I, and again, the reality is we don't. In terms of our relationship with the Lord, the fact that God has forgiven our sins, something no one or nothing in the universe can do, the fact that God forgave my sin is enough. He owes me nothing more than that. And so when we start feeling injustice, because we all do, and, 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 and there's a difference between, you know, we want justice in the earth, in the world. We want, you know, we, we want that. But a lot of the injustice and what we're talking about here is a personal injustice where we're, we feel something's been done against us. And, and it may not be accurate, and many times it's not. It's if you go into an office of some kind and you take numbers yes. and you wait on you feel like you got injustice if they call somebody that got a number after you did. And all of us feel that way. That is true. I mean, we're, we're waiting for that number to pop up. And if somebody dare pops up, another story that I've probably told you, but I was at Costco years ago getting contact lenses, and there was no real line. I mean, it was like a kiosk. And so people were kind of gathered all over. You know, there wasn't a single line, so you'd know who's next or a number to take like that. And so... I was watching. So the time I arrived and who arrived after me and who was arrived before me. And so finally it was my time and I began to step up and a lady stood right in front of me and, and cut in line, totally cut in line. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this. And then when she got served and left, she kind of went, hmm. oh. oh my goodness, that was injustice. And I was like, oh, wow. And so I came up to the counter and the lady said, sir, I know you were next, but thank you for being patient. I said, no problem. <laughs> totally lied. No, uh, but yeah, just a, a simple injustice like that can make us, and, and, and a lot of times when we feel a personal injustice, it's not godly. It's selfish. And, you know, there are, there are things, that, some hard teachings of Christ, like turning the other cheek and, and things like that and, and, you know, not repeating a matter, the Bible says. And so when we feel that person, now we should bring justice to the earth. I mean, the church should be the light and truth of justice from what God's word says is just. But it's that personal injustice that we struggle with that often is self-protective but it doesn't please the Lord. Yes? I think part of that too is we each feed into it sometimes. 
Yeah. And that's not really what they should be doing. They should be saying, you know, how how does this change what Jesus did for you on the cross? Well, it doesn't. Yeah. So how do I get, you know, how do, how do I how do I get justice, or how do I? Right. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that on Sunday, vindication, justice. How do we, you know, when we've been wronged, we want justice. And yet God says vengeance is mine. And, and so we have, and, and this is what we know, because the Bible teaches God is just. He's not fair. He's just. And so he is the only one who can judge fairly because he's absolutely pure and just. And so we want vengeance. We want justice, we'll call it, because that sounds better than vengeance. Doesn't justice sound more holy than I want vengeance? We call it justice. But the reality is only God can meet that out properly because either we'll be too harsh, that's mostly what we'll be, or, or, or someone will be too soft. Yes. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because here's an example. King Saul prophesied naked. Yes. And so that's, that's weird. Uh, and, it, he, he, and, and we know King Saul was not pure of heart. And yet when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he prophesied. Because you're right, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. In the New Testament, he indwells people. And there is, there is a difference. Yes? I guess we're supposed to love each other like Jesus loved us. I would say his example. And that was probably the greatest injustice that happened except him being able yes. to cross for me. So I looked at that, and what did he do during that injustice? And he looked at the people and said, forgive them for they're not what they do. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to do. And, it's, and it's so hard. And as I'll talk about on Sunday... Vindication is a matter of trust. Do we trust God to take care of this or not? And that's really at the heart of trust is control. And, and so the reason we struggle trusting God is because we want control. And yet we don't know what is just and what is proper. And so that's, that's the test for us. Well, we're going to pause right there because... I, I thank you for your input. It's always so valuable. I grow. I learn from you. And I'm going to close this in prayer. And I apologize. I have a meeting I have to run to. I usually like to hang out and fellowship a little bit. But has, has God spoken to you tonight? Do you feel like there's, there's something? we Because the, to be honest, we all have bitterness. It's somewhere. And, and we need to let the scriptures be the light on that. So we can get rid of that poison that we've swallowed hoping someone else will die. Let's pray. God, thank you for the study of your word. Wow, it's alive. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. If there's any area of envy, that'll open a door for bitterness. Lord, if there's a sense of injustice, personal injustice, Lord, we can open that door. If we complain, God, we open the door for the enemy. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us close those doors. Lord, that, 
that we would forgive, Lord, that we would release, we would let things go, God. Lord, we thank you for the example of Job. What a great man, but he was just a man. And we thank you that, Jesus, you were the perfect example, sinless and pure. And so, though we look at Job, he's not our ultimate guide. Jesus, you are. So help us follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.